For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele entitled, Preparing for the Day of the Lord. Mr. Steele. Reg, well, there's more of us than I thought there would be today. <laughs> I think I said to somebody in a text this morning, I'll see you amongst the 12 that might be there. <laughs> I'm glad to see everybody that, that is here and hopefully everybody that's not here is tuning in from home and uh, a warm and, and, and cozy and that would, that's, that's good as well. Have you ever heard of the term preppers? You guys heard of that? It's TV shows, I think. I, I don't know if I've ever seen one, maybe, maybe just advertised. But a prepper is somebody that prepares for the end of whatever, the end of uh, society, you know, the collapse, um, the, the apocalypse, or whatever variant of, of uh, the reason why that they are preparing. And of course, you know, we might make fun of some of those folks that go to the extreme. And I, the snippets that I've seen of TV shows, yeah, I think we should make fun of those folks. They're a little crazy. <laughs> but, you know, being prepared for weather, you know, such as what we have outside, or probably more commonly in, in Oklahoma, being prepared for power outages as a result of, of what should only be spring storms that knock out power with tornadoes, but seem to also now appear in the middle of winter. But being prepared, it's a good idea. Being prepared for some power outages, being prepared uh, in your vehicle, if your vehicle were to break down. I know my family probably gets annoyed at me, but I'm always like, grab your warm coats, but we're going to be in the car. What if the car breaks down? We need to have some preparation in our life, don't we? And we need to prepare sometimes for things financially. Um, you know, my boys said this morning when they realized that the snow had stopped, they said, can we go on a trip to Canada? Because we want to play in real snow. <laughs> so they're feeling very, very deprived. Well, if we want to have a trip to Canada, we're going to have to prepare for that. It's going to take a little bit of money, some plane flights, and some probably warmer coats than we have. So preparing is important. And, um, you know, it, it might seem that, you know, the title of the message is, it's like, not possible. How can you prepare for the day of the Lord? I mean, what does that look like? Well, we probably can't prepare physically, can we? I mean, I've often thought about that. Well, could we do anything physically if? Everything that leads up to the day of the Lord starts to happen in my lifetime. Is there anything that I can do to sustain my life for as long as possible, in the life of my family and friends and so on? And I don't know if there is, but maybe there is. But in a larger sense, how do we prepare for the day of the Lord? It may almost seem like it's a little too much, too large a goal for us. To be prepared. After all, we don't really have an idea of where all of this is going to take place. I mean, we, could, we can read prophecies and we know for sure that certain things are going to happen in Jerusalem and the Middle East. But what does that mean for our corner of the world? The Bible's pretty silent on most of the planet, 
if you look at it in the end of days. There's certainly prophecies about a third of the planet this and a third and so on, but it doesn't say how it's going to be in little old Oklahoma, right? Tulsa, Oklahoma. So how can we prepare for some of these things? Our bones could be long in the earth before we see the end of days and the day of the Lord. We don't know. And I know there are some here today that we're probably convinced at some point in your life that it's, it's on its way. And I don't say that to mock because we can all see that. You know, when missiles start flying around in, in the Middle East, as they have done in this last week or so, I'm like, up, oh, King of the South's doing his thing. All right, where are we in this timeline? And it's easy to start to think that these things are unfolding as we, we look for them. But we could seriously just not even be here when these things start to take place. When thinking about this concept, I've, I've been, um, you know, I'm a big World War II history buff, so it's no surprise that I go on these binge things of watching documentaries and so on on World War II. I've been watching, uh, there's a Netflix one that is World War II, greatest events of World War II in color. And it's really powerful because they colorized the film. And makes it very real, very, very real. It's easy to look at the black and white film and they're walking a little too fast and there's not a lot of audio there and, and it seems so far away, but in color, those boys, those men were just like us. And so it makes it much more real. So I was thinking about the troops stationed in England in June of 1944. British, American, Canadian, New Zealand, Australian troops. And for months and months, they were preparing for a day. It wasn't the day of the Lord, but it was D-Day. And they didn't know when it was going to happen, and they didn't know where it was going to happen. But they were preparing. They practiced. They practiced landing on beaches. Oh, okay, that's a clue. We're gonna, maybe, maybe we're going to land on some beaches. And then they practiced dropping into unsuspecting English villages who were probably scared out of their minds thinking the Germans were landing troops. But of course, it was the Allies practicing. So, hmm, there's going to be some airborne activity. But still, nobody knew for sure. And anybody seen the, the miniseries The Band of Brothers? You guys watch that? You guys should watch that. It's phenomenal. It's about Easy Company and the 101st Airborne. And the, it's, it's basically a dramatized documentary of their journey through World War II. And they, they were practicing, right? They're practicing for D-Day. And it's, it's based on the real company and the real men. And at the beginning of each episode, they interview the survivors at the time of the, when they made the, the, the miniseries. And they're describing their people that they worked with and their, their, their brothers in arms and what they got up to, some, some obviously sad and some funny experiences. And one of the scenes in there, they just finished practicing a drop. And uh, 
Lieutenant Winters was one of their commanding officers. And he goes into this tent where there's this other officer who has a couple of extra maps tucked under a little hidey hole thing. And he walks in and kind of slyly says, I've got some information. The other guy slides out the map and they discuss the flight path that they took when they were practicing and how they flew and where they jumped out of the airplane. And so they overlaid this on a map of Europe. And they said, it's going to be Normandy. Because at that point, none of them knew when or where. But even still, that was a bit of a guess. And even if they got the place right, they didn't know the time, did they? So they were preparing something that they didn't know when was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and in most instances, where it was going to happen. But then on June 5th, the order came. The soldiers, sailors, and airmen boarded their ships and planes and prepared to travel to a place they did not know. Some of them knew, of course. You'd hope the captains knew where to, to take the ship. But it was top secret. And in the documentary I've been watching, they interviewed this British soldier who boarded the ship and was, he knew that we were going we're to go to war. Guys, this isn't a pleasure cruise. <laughs> They've got all their stuff. They're ready. And he boarded the ship, and then the ship left port, and everybody was expecting them to go this way, toward Cherbourg. And instead, they went this way. And they're like, well, what are we going now? Well, maybe we're going to North Africa, or reinforcing troops there. Who knows? And then they traveled. And then they arrived at their destination, really just before dawn. And throughout the night, what had happened is none of the soldiers could see this, of course, because it's dark. And throughout the night, all of these ships had assembled. This massive fleet of ships had assembled. The greatest invasion force in the history of the world. And so as the light came up on the, on, in the dawn, right off the coast of Normandy, 7,000 ships were right there. And he, his mind was blown because he didn't know all these ships had been sailing through the night right next to him. But he was prepared, wasn't he? He didn't know a lot about what was going to happen. And he certainly didn't know for sure what was going to happen to him and if he would even survive the day. But he was prepared. And that really stood out to me. And it stands out in the light of this question. How can we pre be prepared for the day of the Lord? And, and everything that builds up to that. I remember as a child learning a hymn and young people singing this hymn that says that we are in the Lord's army, aren't we? We need to prepare. In lots of ways, just like the men that landed on D-Day needed to prepare. We don't know when we're going to be called into action, and we do not know how we're going to be called into action. But we are to be prepared. The Apostle Paul says it in this way. I mean, Apostle Peter, I should say. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 1, he says, Beloved, 
Now I write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by the way of a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and of the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever said this to you directly, but I am convinced that there are many individuals, maybe even especially amongst our church tradition, who have said similar things. Well, it didn't play out the way I was told in church, though it mustn't be true. The prophecies that I was told and maybe some of the timelines that I was told about, well, they didn't play out the way I was told. And their faith was rattled. Our church tradition is no more guilty than any others. You know, there are plenty of church traditions that have sometimes put timelines and plugged in other things and ideas into the word of God and it now made it in error and undermined the faith of those that were listening. When these, don't th these things don't happen as the preachers and the prophets claim, then that faith can be shaken. You know, and I've, I've been wanting for a long time to, to go back. I used to study prophecy a lot more. And uh, just, just, I don't know, for different reasons, I, I haven't done as much study in prophecy. And, but I want to go back and study Daniel again. Because, of course, as we get closer to that day, whenever that is, Daniel's going to be very, very important. Very, it's going to be very important to understand what Daniel said. But as I was reading a little bit of the last chapter of Daniel this morning, I was struck again by this puzzle that's in Daniel. This uh, torment that was put on Daniel. Because we have all this incredible imagery. We have this images that capture the imagination, right? We could almost see these play out in movies. And I sometimes wonder if some of the movies are not based on that. With these multi-headed dragon beasts and these wizard-like creatures with special powers. It's pretty cool. But what does it mean? And no wonder Daniel wanted to know what it meant. And what was he told? Well, if you go to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, he says, but you, Daniel, after I made you write all of this wonderful narrative down, you shut up the words, put a seal on the book, close it up until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And then I, Daniel, looked and there stood two others one on this riverbank and another on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, 
who was above the uh, who was above the waters of the river how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be aha we want to know that how long and then i hired the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time times and half a time and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered all these things shall be finished great thanks a lot and even if we had spent all of today studying Daniel we wouldn't know for sure what that is and there's a reason why which we'll read here in a second and so uh, Daniel says, although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, as he said at the beginning, go your way. It's not for you to know. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifices is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. How frustrating must it have been to be Daniel and to write this down and then told it's not for you this isn't for you to understand well then who is it for well it's for those living in the time of the end isn't it but that's the puzzle how do you know you're living in the time of the end you can understand Daniel how do you know you're understanding Daniel you're living in the time of the end like this circular reasoning that you'll never be able to break into until you land on the beach. Right? It's just like those soldiers preparing for D-Day. Until they arrived where they were going, it didn't make sense to them. Until they arrived at those beaches, all their training, all of the things that they'd been told and the preparation that were told didn't make complete sense. So they were there at the moment. Only then did what they had learned for months now fall in place. That's interesting though, isn't it? That hasn't stopped. That hasn't stopped us trying to learn. And indeed we should learn. We should learn and study the contents in preparation. But we're learning it without some of the keys. And some of the keys are only available at the time in which they're relevant. Some of the information is missing because we have to be present in the moment when that information is given. So they're really like coded maps and charts that we still need more information <clears throat> to understand. But it hasn't stopped countless people <laughs> making charts and graphs and putting timelines to those things and making predictions about when those things happen. Predictions is what gets us in trouble. It's what undermines our faith when it doesn't happen the way 
we imagine it would happen. So we come back to Peter. When he says the people <coughs> will mock us and say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, you Sunday churches, you Sabbath churches, you, everybody who claims to be a Christian, you've been saying Jesus is returning for 2,000 years. Where is he? It's a fair question. But of course, they're not really answer, asking the question to get the answer, are they? They're just mocking. They're doubters. And maybe sometimes we might doubt a little bit. How long is this going to happen? What does Peter say? He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some has counted slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, there are two points, two important points, I think, in this one thing that Peter points out. First, and it's something that I think those of us that have studied prophecy, maybe have listened to a lot of our you know, uh, great evangelists and teachers of the past. I'm thinking of Mr. Ron Dart as one of them. One of the things I always remember he said was, prophecy is not the future written in advance. I remember hearing that for the first time. I was like, I thought that's exactly what it was. Isn't that what it is? And he said, no. Prophecy is what will happen unless we change. If you go back to Nineveh, that's a perfect example, isn't it? The promise to Nineveh was, you are going to be destroyed. There was no if or unless. It was, you are. And it failed. Because they changed. They repented. They turned back. So, I think this goes along with what Peter just told us. That we are to look at prophecy in the light of God's grace. Why hasn't it happened yet? Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Why has the day of the Lord not arrived yet? Because God is gracious. He's not wanting anyone to be lost. He's not wanting to lose anyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance. I wonder, has there been a time in the last hundred years, thousand years, when these, the prophecies about the end of days, leading up to the day of the Lord, could, could that have happened before? There were certainly those at the time of World War II but looked at that and said, this is it. This is where we're, this is the end of, <laughs> of everything. This is where we're going. Maybe it was. And maybe God pushed the timeline a little bit. Who knows? The other point that Peter, I think, is trying to make is that time passes for God very differently. And, you know, we, we look at 2,000 years, and that's a very long time. And what does he say? Eh, it's a couple of days for God. You know, and how many times have we decided, oh, I need to go to the hardware store or the grocery store, I need to go pick up such and such. Ah, oh, I'm just 
too tired. I'll go tomorrow. Not a big deal. I just need to get it done this week. Any different for God? Eh, I could wait another thousand years. It's okay. Time is different for him. Now, I do think sometimes we look at this a little too rigidly and we say, ooh, this is, this is a code that we can use in prophecy. And maybe we can, but sometimes I think we look at it too hard and we say, well, a day is a thousand years, so there's absolutely a thousand years for this day. Maybe. But if you look at the scripture, Peter's verbiage is much more relaxed than that. He says it's like a thousand years. Or a thousand years is like a day. And he's actually referencing Psalm 90 in verse 4. It says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. He's just really saying it's, it's just a short period of time to God, even though it's a thousand years to us. But I think it's interesting that if we look at the whole of the psalm, we get the context of what the psalmist is trying to say, both on this point and the larger point that Peter is trying to get to about the day of the Lord. In Psalm 90, verse 1, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday, when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like sleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. And in the morning, it flourishes and grows up. And in the evening, it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath, we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For as soon as it's cut, uh, for soon it is cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? As for the fear of you, so is your, is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil, that your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Just a powerful song. A powerful description of human life, isn't it? And, and the life of the great civilizations of man. God just <laughs> turns the page on all of those civilizations that have come and gone. I was thinking about this scripture. You know, Steve performed the service yesterday for Mr. Gill. And I was thinking about Mr. Gill a little bit in the light of this scripture because 
He gained an extra 25 years over this 70-year limit, didn't he? Extra 25 years. And if we could speak to him today, I'm pretty sure he would say, it was just a breath, just a sigh, and it was gone. In fact, I mean, it was maybe a month ago, I was talking to him right over here. And we were just talking about life and, and uh, about how long he had lived and, and the things he does in his day to, to pass the time. And he was full of so much wisdom, so much grace. And I'm thinking in my head, I just I want to be like this guy if I live <laughs> to 95 years old. That's a really good place to be. But I do remember one thing that he said. I don't remember the exact words, but it was, we were just talking about what he did to pass the time, and he, he was just, well, I'm, I'm happy to just still be here for as long as the Lord wants me here. And how else could we be? Just waiting until our Savior decides to harvest us from this earth says that we're ready. We can rest and be ready for that day of the Lord. And if you think about it, at that moment when he passed from this world and entered that rest, it looks like rest to us because we've got to continue through these days. But to him, he was transported through space and time. And he's already at the day of the Lord. He's already in the kingdom of God. What will really blow your mind is we're ready, already there with him. Just haven't gotten there yet. That's what we look forward to. The kingdom of God, when this feeble life is, is done, when it's over, and we'll never die again. But notice in verse 13, the psalmist says the same words that we say when we see pain and we see suffering. And we see the way the world is going. And, and Reg mentioned, I think, the other week. And, and again this morning in his prayer for services. Protect us from our leaders. <laughs> you know, when we see this, the, the decay and, the, and the, the trouble that is, is coming upon us, we want to echo these same words. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servant. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Doesn't that remind us of something Jesus said? When he said, unless the Son of Man come quickly, no flesh will be saved. Unless the days are shortened. And we're asking, right here, and the psalmist is asking, more than 3,000 years or more ago, how long will you wait until you return? And I wonder, is he referring to this physical life when he says that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days? Or is he really looking forward to that eternal life when we will rejoice and be glad all of our eternal days? Those that are faithful, those that have the spirit of Christ in them, just like Mr. Gill, 
will be glad not for just 70 years or 95 years, but for all of eternity. And then notice also in the verse before, in verse 12 he says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. To know where we are in life. To know where we are in our preparations for the day of the Lord. To know what we need to do differently. To know the areas of our faith and our knowledge that we need to strengthen. Get ready and be wise. It says apply or gain a heart of wisdom. But what are we getting wise for? When the troops hit the beaches at Normandy, they were wise. They were wise in the areas of war. They were wise in the use of their weapons and their explosives. They had special explosive tubes that they would roll up underneath the barbed wire and then explode to, to blow out those obstacles so they could move up off the beach. They knew how to use this equipment. They were wise. And I bet you they wondered, what in the world are these things really for until they landed on the beaches? So what are we getting wise for? Well, the day of the Lord. The day that the bridegroom comes. Our Savior puts it this way in Matthew 25. In verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They were wise. What was the wisdom that they they had here? Well, they were prepared. They were prepared for an outcome. They were prepared to take the necessary fuel, the necessary things that they needed for their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, sounds a lot like what Peter has been referring to, that there's been this delay. Why he was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. We're all going to sleep. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, (laughs) lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, all the virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We're very familiar with this passage, aren't we? Watch. We even had a church organization, the the 20th Century Watch, I think it was called, right? Uh, Being watchful. That's good. But a better word, I think, in my just suggestion is be prepared. Because you can watch. You can look out. You can be looking and seeing what's going on. But if you are not prepared, if you didn't have the oil, you're not going in. 
So watching is, is not the only thing we need to do. It is also being prepared, which of course Jesus is telling us by the whole parable. We are preparing for the day of the Lord. Whether that is the day that he returns to the earth, whether we actually see that ourselves, or like Mr. Gill, we are fast forwarded through space and time to that day when we pass from this world. Either way, the day of the Lord is coming to us all. Turning back to uh, 2 Peter in chapter 3 and verse 10. Remembering all this then in the context of what we've just looked at. That the day of the Lord has not happened. because Not because it's not true or not real. But because of God's grace and his mercy. He's giving us enough time to prepare. To be ready. So Peter continues. But the day, of the, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore since all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness. Looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now of course Peter is he's doing a big jump here. He's fast forwarding through lots of good things and he's jumping to, to beyond the great judgment, beyond the millennium, beyond a lot of the things that we can read about in other, in other books. He's jumping to that very end of a new creation and beyond as I say the millennial room the rule of Christ but we can almost look at the term that he's using here the day of the Lord in the, in the way that we use uh, I know it's, it might not sound applicable but every dog has his day right and, and we know what that means that means Everybody has a moment to shine. Everybody has a moment to succeed. For fortune to fall on them. We all have at least one of those days. And so in a broad sense, he's saying we are arriving. We will arrive. There might be a thousand years of time in there. But we will arrive at this day of the Lord. But for Peter, he skips to the end of the age. And takes us to a moment that we've read about in Revelation. Because after all of that melting, and after all of the elements being reconstituted and recon reconstructed, we have this in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he, sat, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful, are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, who overcomes. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. How do we inherit all things? Have you ever thought about that question? <laughs> We're going to inherit all things. How do you handle that? How do you handle now inheriting this massive wealth and power? Do you think we can just flip a switch and know exactly what to do with all of that? Imagine if somebody just came to you today and said, here is one billion dollars. It's all yours. Could you handle the responsibility and your own <laughs> desires of what to spend that money on? That is a massive thing that can come upon somebody's life. This is saying we inherit all things. How do we prepare to inherit all things. The psalmist told us. Jesus told us. Peter is telling us. We need to apply our hearts. To wisdom. We need to train. Here and now. On this earth. So that we are prepared. We might not know what to do. Or rather we might not know where we're going. And how we're going to arrive at that day. Just as I said earlier about the soldiers on D-Day, they didn't know where they were going or what exactly it was going to look like when they got there. But when we arrive on that day, we need to have prepared, applied our heart to wisdom, considered where we are in life, numbered our days. I wonder if we should actually number our days. How many days have we lived? Some of us have a hard enough time remembering how many years we've lived. Maybe it would be an interesting exercise to say how many days we've lived. There's a really powerful song. I was tempted to, to, to play it today. but it, It's um, by Chris Rice. And he describes this and he says, every, be, every day you know, it comes as the, with the same number of hours for each one of us. We all get 24 hours each. It's a bank that we draw upon. What do we do with that time? Do we invest or do we squander? You know, sometimes I just feel like I use most of my most productive time at work. And I so want to be more productive in other things after work. I wish somebody would give me the, the same job for half the time with with the same pay, right? So I could just use some more of those hours and, and not be <laughs> worn out at the end of it. But we can ask ourselves those questions. Are we preparing? Are we spending more time in the, in the Word of God? Are we preparing our hearts, getting ourselves wise so that we can inherit and handle the inheritance that we are getting ready get. Turning back to 2 Peter in chapter 3, he says, nevertheless we, according 
in verse 13, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord, of our Lord's salvation, as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you. As also in all the epistles, speaking in them of things which are of some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. It's so powerful, isn't it? You just get this real context from that last passage there. Peter's saying, okay, this, this is how you prepare. Listen to what Paul told you. Listen to what he wrote to you. And these, these same individuals are hearing these letters read out loud, aren't they? As they were spread around to the churches. Listen to what Paul says. Okay. And then he says, and also, all the other epistles too. And all the scriptures study and apply our hearts to wisdom. Study, learn, apply what we've learned, and become wise. We don't know how much time we have left. We can go back, if we can remember our age, and know how much time we've used. How much is ahead of us, we don't know. But out there, in the future, is D-Day. There is a day out there for each one of us. And it could be our own personal day of the Lord. It could also be that great day of the Lord. And all the events that lead up to it. Let's just grow in grace and in knowledge. Helping one another. Encouraging one another. And let us prepare for that day.